You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. Amen. God is good. And all the time. Come on. Eileen is on top of it today. Well, if you're cold in this room right now, like physically cold, you're just wrong because I'm already sweating. I didn't, hey, I, I, might, I might need that today, Debbie, my, my, my Pentecostal towel. It's my Holy Spirit rally towel. That's right. It's monogrammed. It's got my initial on it, so that's why you know it's holy. I had it folded nice, Deb. You just threw it at me. What are you doing? So, turning your Bibles to John 17. We're coming in. We're coming in close. We're, we're in final approach on the series. We started at the beginning of the year. It's so rich. I'm supposed to have titles for these sermons. Some people spend hours like thinking up titles. I, um, I kind of think up titles the way that I used to do homework in college or when I did homework. It's kind of like I'm standing here and I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to have a title. But I, I do want to... I, I, Talk about the glory. I was so excited about today because glory is, is it's an amazing subject to talk about. The glory of God and the effect of his glory on us. And there's, uh, interestingly enough, there is a, a debate because that's what we do, right? We still rally around the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we like to debate Theology and and I get it, it's fine. I, I I don't I don't mind that so much because I happen to believe that in tension we actually find the beauty of unity, and so we can be unified even though we agree on different ideas because unity isn't intellectual assent. Unity is where we stand. When we choose to stand in Christ, when we choose to to be in faith, we inherently become unified. It's just that sometimes we lean more on the intellect than we do on the face. We lean more on the intellect than, than we do on intimacy with God. And when we do that, we begin to diverge because even the slightest leaning upon the intellect, I wanna be careful how I say this, over time can lead you on a trajectory that will take you outside of the move of God. And by the move of God, I'm, I know we have this idea of what the move of God is. I'm just talking about the space of his name, his voice, and his face. I'm not talking about the characteristics. I'm talking about what Jesus said. I only do what I see the Father doing. What he was saying is I'm staying inside the move of God. And by the way, the move of God for him landed him on a cross. But there's this idea of the theology of the cross and the theology of glory. And I, you know, I was listening to a, a lecture this week about that. And the, the, the inference, not, it wasn't the inference. I mean, they pretty much said straight up that these are on opposite sides of the spectrum. And this is why we struggle, particularly in the Western world, with translating scripture. Because we, we struggle with embracing mystery. If God is infinite, if he is eternal, if his nature is beyond our capacity to comprehend in any, any form of its fullness, then could it be possible that things that are seemingly opposite to the rational mind could be true in a God who is infinite? So... You know, we have a bunch of people that say, well, God isn't angry with us. And then you have a whole other bunch of people, usually with sandwich boards in Quincy Market, that says God is angry with us. Could it be that God could love us and still at times be angry? 
Could it be that in any given moment in time, the heart of a passionate father could have grace and mercy and wrath existing simultaneously? We struggle with that. And, and again, it's what we call fresh revelation that we think is fresh, but it's really God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We're just in our density of existence in our minds. There are certain points and pockets of time that we become softened and enlightened to a specific point that God is and always has been. And for us, it's fresh, but the reality is it's been in him for all eternity. So I'm, I'm gonna talk briefly about that, but that's not really the point. I just want you to be aware of what's out there. So I'm gonna start reading John 17. I'm gonna read out of the New American Standard today. And verse 20, which we, uh, we did talk about that already, but it's so great because I, I, this is such a great promise. John, 20, John 17, 20 says this. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word. What is he saying there? He's saying, because he's praying for his disciples, the 12. I mean, there's 12, there's still 12. There's about to be 11 because Judas is about to do what he's going to do. But he's saying, I'm not asking for just these guys, but for those who believe in me because of their testimony, because of their word. Who does that include then? That's you and me, baby. So that means all of the promises, all of the prayer that is within John 17 is for you and it's for me. And when I read this and I read the words of Jesus and, and oftentimes I'll even read it out loud, it's as I'm accessing it as if he is saying it just in this moment because although he said this 2,000 years ago, the reality is that the word of God never falls to the ground void. So these words that he released into the atmosphere as the sound of his voice, hit the air and the sound waves begin to vibrate the molecules in the atmosphere, the vibration of his voice is as real today in this moment as it was 2,000 years ago because he is the word that became flesh and walked among us. That sound never hit the ground. It never stopped reverberating. And so we can access by faith now these words, his word in this moment, in the now, as if he was still standing in front of us and speaking it for the very first time. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? Like a few people in the corner back over here understood that. I want you to understand that the word itself says the word is living and active. It's sharper than to any, uh, any two-edged sword. And, and also that the word never falls to the ground void. What does that mean? It's alive now in this moment. And so you can war with the promises of God in the word. You think you've got nothing to give. You think you've got nothing to pray. You think you've got nothing to say to God. Then you go into the word and you begin to read it out loud. You begin to read the promises of God out loud into the atmosphere. And let me tell you, the angelic around you begin to take notice because they know that sound. They're like, oh, that's the sound of our king. That's the sound of the captain of the Lord of hosts. Oh, we know that sound. And so we're going to begin to co-labor with the sound that's being released right now because I know the sound of what that is. It's powerful, this word. Okay, so we got through verse 20. This is why the series takes so long. I do not ask on behalf of all these alone, of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory, somebody say glory, just because it's fun. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be, <laughs> that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. He said in verse 22, the glory which you have given me, this is Jesus saying to the Father, the glory that you gave me, I give to them. Who is he giving that glory to? 
and the disciples and us. He's praying for the disciples, but he proceeds that. Now, a lot of your Bibles, there's going to be a division between verse 20 and 21. That's not in the scripture. That's just what we do. There's no division. He says, I do not ask on, on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe. That's you and me. That they may be one. That's you and me. And then he says, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Do you understand the ramifications of what Jesus, the Son of God, is saying right there? He's saying, God, Father, Yudhe, Vavhe, Elohim, Dad, guess what? The glory that you give me, let's give it to them. The glory that's on the Son of God is on you and me. That's why Paul says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why? Because he realizes in John 17 that Jesus, the Son of God, the Word that became flesh, the Torah scroll that is manifest and walking the earth, hey, he just said, I gave you my glory and I think he's gonna have his way. Jesus doesn't pray like the lottery, like he's hoping that, that God is going to do it. Maybe if I pray hard enough. No, he is making a prophetic declaration that is the glory that you gave me, I gave them. And so that's why I like to read about Jesus and his glory and all the stuff that he did, even as he walked the earth, but also as he is seated on the throne, because I think it's in, in first or second or third John, it says, as he is now, so are we on the earth. Woo! That's a big excuse breaker. And by the way, Jesus' words are not predicated on your mood. They're not predicated on your affliction. They're not predicated on your history. His words are. And therefore, in the midst of your stuff, no matter what people think about you, you can access the truth of the word. Amen. Okay, I made it through that scripture. So... I, I like to look at, at, at original language, at language. Anytime, you know, if I hear the word sound or read the word sound, I, I often look at that. Or, and glory is one of those words. And so I, I do a lot of study in, in biblical Hebrew on the word glory. And so this week I, I spent some time reading some articles and as much as I could understand, much, well, much less versed in, in Greek. But this Greek word... It's interesting, you know, there's a lot of people, especially in our stream, that we're trying to get rid of Christianese. And I get that, I, I get the, I understand it. Because when we're talking to the world in our, our nice bumper sticker Christian language, the context is lost. But the reality is I don't really have a problem with Christianese because any culture or subculture always develops its own language. You know, when you're part of the club, you just develop your own language. This is what we do. By the way, the entirety of the New Testament basically is written in Christianese. Now, I know evangelists don't like to hear that because they don't want us to talk in a, in a, in, you know, a Christianese type, type words. But the reality is the writers of the New Testament hijacked a language to the point that they had to give it another name. And here's one of those words that it's, it's one of the most dramatic words because in the classical Greek and in the context of scripture, there's two almost completely different meanings. I mean, you could draw some correlations, but it's fairly dramatic. And so in the classical Greek, this word for glory really speaks to reputation, good standing, renown. And so that, that's good. I like that word. You know, even, you know, some of the, the worship uh, writers of modern worship music, especially a few years ago, you heard this word renown a lot. So especially among the passion guys, you know, because they've got some great, you know, theological type people around them. And so they're writing from that, that position. And so I understand what they're going after uh, in that. And so in this idea of, because in Greek culture, reputation was, was pretty important. And so your supreme worth or the ideal worth was wrapped up in reputation. And reputation, the problem with reputation is reputation is what other people say about you. And so when we're talking about the glory of God, it's his glory is not inhibited by our opinion. 
But in the context of man and what we might call secular culture, a man's worth is measured by his repute. But in the New Testament, we just totally hijack the word. Because when you look at this word throughout the New Testament, and even as it's translated or used, utilized in the, the Septuagint, it, to, it denotes this idea of divine radiance. Heavenly radiance, loftiness, majesty, the essence of God. I want to see his glory. And I've had, I've had, you know, when I was younger, especially because in my, in my twenties, man, like I was like rapidly pursuing God and his manifest glory. Like I wanted to see it. And I, I'm still, I'm still there. Maybe I'm a little more measured, a little older, a little tired, you know, blessing the Lord or loving the Lord God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength doesn't manifest at 49 the same way it did maybe at 25. My strength level maybe isn't quite the same as it was then. I mean, I'm just standing here and I'm sweating. Okay, come on, we'll anoint all of you later. See, now you're going to put me on a bunny trail because, you know, I got that Peloton thing, you know. I like the Peloton. I like to be yelled at. You know, some of the instructors are just way too nice. I don't, I don't like that. But uh, I respond to being yelled at. It's just, you know, yell at me. You know, tell me I'm, I'm a wimp and, and make me keep going. But So I, I got on the Peloton this week and I was all sweaty because, I mean, obviously if I'm sweating just standing here, you can only imagine 30 minutes on a bike. Uh, anyway, so I, I came up and, you know, it's interesting that, that when I'm sweaty like that, that's the time for some reason that I really just want to love on my wife. But I mean, Debbie's sitting on the front row and she just heard from, from one of our, our astute parishioners that that's some powerful sweat. So next time I come to you, Debbie, and I'm just encased by the power and the anointing of the oil of God, receive it heartily as I anoint you with the <laughs> anyway okay I'm, I'll, I'll reel it back in yeah I get sweaty anyway all that to say love the Lord God with all your heart mind soul and strength now as we go back and we look at this understanding that classically the word glory speaks of reputation, but biblically the word glory speaks of radiance because when God manifests himself, he is on a mission to impact us. So why the leading edge of our vision statement or our mission statement is that we want to, uh, to leave the imprint of the Father's heart on everyone that we come in contact with. How do we do that? Because we are carriers of the glory of God. The glory of God is like a firebrand, which we used to do this kind of prayer worship event called Firebrand, if you remember, is like a firebrand that burns a symbol onto an object upon an animal that denotes ownership. I was listening to a message. Uh, I, I've actually been listening to messages a little bit more lately, which I don't usually do because... You, you already know I go on bunny trails, but, and it was, the title of the message was Branded. And, and he was talking about even how, you know, when you, when soup is being made, it's made in a factory, but it doesn't hit the shelves until there is a label put on it that tells you who owns that product. When you come into Christ, when you receive this baptism of love, but also this baptism of the spirit that comes like fire, there is a brand that is put on you that shows the world to whom you belong. And by the world, I'm including the spirit realm. 
You better believe when you walk into Walmart, there might be a moment that darkness shrieks. Isn't that right? Because even when you don't feel it, there is a light that is coming from you. Because you have been bought. You've been purchased by blood. You have been regenerated from the inside out. Your spirit man now is the temple. It's the, the container of the essence of the divine. And so even on your cranky days, that light is light and darkness. Why? Because Jesus said, Father, the glory that you've given me, let's give it to them. That's grace. That's favor. But everywhere in scripture where grace and favor are given, responsibility is assumed. What you do with that glory, what you do with the gift that is given you, that's what we get judged for. When you're in Christ, it's not a judgment of condemnation, it's a judgment of reward. And we are judged by what we do with the knowledge and the experience that we've been given. Does that make sense? There's a supreme value in scripture and unity. We've talked a lot about it. We, we did a whole series last year on the spirit of belonging, and much of which is this idea of unity, that we've been given the spirit of adoption. We've been given a new name. We've been transferred from one kingdom, which is darkness, to another kingdom, which is light, and we are now in the royal household. The point of being in the royal household, though, is that we now have chores to do in the house. And so verse 20, 21, 22 says this. I don't know, just verse 22. It says this, the glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one. There is a purpose to the glory. It's not just a sandbox a charismatic sandbox of God stuff that we get to play in. The purpose of God in this passage, in the words of Jesus himself, he gave us his glory so that we could walk in unity. There is, we do not have the capacity to be in unity without the glory of God. So, why is this important? We have two ideas right now, that, and we give them terms. We call a lot of things theology, which literally is just the knowledge of God. I think in terms of doctrine rather than theology, because doctrine is sort of what we think about the word, and theology is God is is not subject to our opinions, but I, I understand the point. So we have this idea called the theology of glory and the theology of the cross that we think are diametrically opposed. I'm not gonna go deep into this, but let me give you a cursory definition as, what, uh, as to what these two things are. I'm not even sure I have this in my notes. I don't, that's fine, I got it in my head. So the theology of glory basically says that when we come into Christ, everything is going to get better. That we're going to bring the kingdom of God down on earth and that the culture of the kingdom will supersede the culture of the earth and we will establish Jesus as king on the earth. The extensions of that, though, lead to some ideas like what we call prosperity gospel. Now, let me be clear. I'm all for prosperity. You can, I, I, I struggle to find how you can read scripture and not understand that God wants to bless you. The problem is what you have to do is you have to discount a huge portion of first covenantal text because what we, we do is we say, oh, well, those promises were for Israel, yet the new covenant is clear that we are grafted in to Abraham. 
Therefore, the promises that came to the seed of Abraham also flow to us. But we struggle to embrace that. And by discounting, well, I don't want to go there yet. But the issue with the prosperity gospel is that some will teach that your, your faith is measured by how much stuff you get. See, the issue with that is you cannot have a theology of blessing and prosperity unless you have a, a theology of blessing, I mean, of suffering. This is where a lot in our stream have struggled. And so when we, even when we have gone, you know, try being in a prophetic church, a leader in a prophetic church, when bad stuff happens. People start asking questions because we don't, we, we don't understand why bad things happen. And so there must be a prophetic reason. And sometimes those prophetic reasons start being pointed at the leadership. Oh, well, the leadership must be doing something wrong if people are struggling or they're, they're getting sick or they're whatever, whatever's happening. We will endure suffering on this earth. It will happen. We don't have to look far beyond. I mean, we can look inside the boundaries of our nation and see it. But when we get a global perspective as to what is happening in the church, we begin to see that suffering is happening in the body of Christ right now. As a matter of fact, Scripture elevates the martyrs because they gave it all just like Jesus gave it all and they are still giving it all today. I don't know the particulars of this particular incident, but I, I think it was just this morning I saw the news or, or maybe it was yesterday that 300 girls were kidnapped by Boko Haram in Nigeria. Now we had a, a, a Nigerian that was in this church. You know, many of us remember Obi and his wife Tiffany, they moved to California. But I remember when, when Boko Haram was coming down from the north uh, on a weekly basis and attacking churches and predominantly killing all the men in the churches. He was, on, he was here on a Sunday and he was talking to me and he had ha had a phone conversation with one of his pastor friends in northern Nigeria. And his pastor friend said this, we see death all the time. And so death no longer has power over us. That is a man that understands that even though I am in the midst of my circumstance, I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Conversely, I remember doing a study several years ago. I mean, more than several years ago. But where we began to trace regions and nations that were in revival and even historically were in revival and the economic trends in that nation and in that region. And so it seems that over the course of time, when God moves on a people, somehow, some way, there's this healing that comes to the land and all of a sudden, an economy that may have been, even in third world nations, by the way, an economy that was destitute, now some, suddenly becomes globally relevant. There is something inherent in the nature of God that brings blessing, that causes things that, that had less value to have more value. Do you understand that? And, and go ahead and look it, look it up. You can look it up. I mean, you can look at what happened in Brazil. You can look at what happened in, in India. You can look at what happened in China by the way. I understand that there's a lot of persecution in China. I've been there. I've seen it. But China is also in revival. There was a study done in 2010. I think it was to the tune of uh, 32,000 to 36,000 people were being saved in China. I, I forget. It was either daily or monthly. It was a crazy number. There's a billion people there. So I, I think it actually was daily. I mean, it's crazy. I was in a particular city where the, the city had exploded, exploded with believers. 
Unfortunately, the government kicked us out of the city, but they were nice about it because we left. But before we left, let me tell you, we prayed and we prophesied over the head of the religious bureau there. And he wept. And he texted us for the next three or four hours trying to get us to go to his house for lamb kebabs. Yeah, he was a Muslim. One of the people on our team looked at him and said, when you were a teenager, you had a dream of Jesus. And Jesus wants you to know that he's gonna visit you again. And he began to weep and he said, you know, I, I did, I had a dream. And I, in my dream, I saw Jesus and I saw Muhammad, but Muhammad was closer to me, so I followed him. And so we put hands on him and we prayed and he said, the son of God is gonna visit you again. And he is seated high above any other prophet that has visited you. So on the other side of this camp, we have the theology of the cross. The theology of the cross says that the, word, the world is sick and dying and we're just in it. And how we function in the midst of a world that is sick and dying is all relative to the cross. And so we suffer in the now and we wait for the not yet and that the blessings that God speaks of are not so much in the now, but they're in the not yet. And we cling to the cross through every struggle of life. Also true. Could it be that we could be placed in a world that is sick and dying with the power of the cross and that at times we will suffer and we will endure. At times, we may be persecuted for our faith, but also at times that God could come with blessing, that God could come and prosper a people, that God could come and set up an economic Goshen around a group of people in a time where the economy is crashing, in a time where, where unemployment skyrocketed in a region and in a land. Could it be that God could bless a people group and say, you guys will stay employed. You guys will continue to feed the economy. You guys will not just be employed, but you will be employers. Could it be that we can figure out a way inside the infinite nature of God to make space for blessing and prosperity and suffering and difficulty? Because to the rational mind, these two ideas may seem diametrically opposed, but when I look into the heart of the Father, I see the possibility of both. And so here's the thing. The scripture says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It doesn't say, yea, though I camp out in the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, I'm in the midst of darkness. I think I'm just going to stay here. I'm in the midst of suffering. I'm just going to hang out in this place. No, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. What does that mean? He was born in a manger, but he didn't stay in that place. He learned a craft. He lived with a family. His needs were provided for. He wore decent clothes. He had a group of disciples. One of them had to be the money guy. To to carry the money. Why? Because they had all of their needs supplied for. He wasn't living in squalor. He wasn't walking as a poor man. He was still walking as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that mission led him to a cross after a road to suffering. But here's the thing. He was placed in, the, in a tomb. He was in, uh, wrapped in, in utter darkness. He descended into Hades. But on the third day, he rose again. And when he rose, he didn't immediately Immediately ascend to the right hand of the Father, but for 40 days with resurrection power, he walked the earth. He demonstrated the glory of God on the earth. Why? Because he was teaching us how to walk. If he had ascended to the right hand of the Father, then we would be left at the cross. But he said, no, when I resurrect, I'm going to still walk this ground with you because I'm going to show you what is possible when you cling to me. It was the blessing of God on the earth, walking in the power of Jesus Christ. 
I've been in the valley of the shadow of death. And by the grace of God, I did not fear. I know what it's like to be in a circumstance, but not be consumed by it. Maybe this is what the word means when he says we are in the world, but not of it. We have the deacon Stephen, who I kind of relate to because he was flapping his lips, telling the religious leaders what was up. Maybe not in the wisest fashion. You know, the Bible doesn't give us commentary on his delivery, just tells us what he said. But I mean, Jesus did it, right? He called them brood of vipers. So some people think that gives them the right to do it. I don't know. I'm just thinking if you're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you can characterize people however you want because you have a little bit better vision about their nature than we do. Our job is to disciple people in a maturity. And Romans 2.1 says his kindness will lead them to repentance. Well, you know, Stephen didn't really take that route. He was a little brash. So he got stoned for it. Maybe there was another way he could have done it, but he's the prime example, the greatest encounter with Jesus that this, this deacon Stephen ever had was when he was being stoned to death. Now, psychologically, we'd probably say, oh, he's hallucinating. I don't know, I mean, he's being stoned and he sees Jesus in his glory. He was in a circumstance, but he was not of it. He came into this revelation that, oh, wait, I'm of another world. And I'm going to go there a little bit sooner than I thought it was. But And he was martyred. And the reality is that out of that martyrdom, the church scattered across the region because Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Problem is that really nobody had gone into all the world yet because Jerusalem was in revival. People were having a good time. They were having their private prophetic party. I mean, the church was growing in number every day, but nobody was going anywhere. But when Stephen died, all of a sudden people were like, maybe we should get out of here. And it wasn't because necessarily that they were doing what they saw the father doing. They were going because they're like, eh, we don't feel so safe anymore. This isn't a safe space. I don't feel safe here. I need to be safe. Are you safe? Somebody texted me this week and said, I feel like I can talk to you because you're safe. I was like, bro. I never answered that. I got to answer that text yet because I, I was like, I'm not. <laughs> sorry. I'm a little sorry. I feel bad sometimes. But, you know, the reality is I'm going to tell you what I think. And in today's vernacular, that's not being safe. So now the church is scattered abroad and now we are the fruit of Stephen's martyrdom because that's when the gospel was carried to the Gentiles. Thank you, Stephen. I mean, thank you, Jesus. But you know, someday we, when we go to heaven, we can all shake Stephen's hand for saying stupid stuff to leaders. The glory that Jesus was given, he's given to you and me. And the fruit of that glory is unity. Glory leads to unity. And that means there is no unity without proximity. And there is no glory manifest to us without intimacy. And when we come into the space of glory we come into a space of unity and in that space a blessing is commanded it is not optional you guys have heard me say I was on a I got bumped out of my first class upgrade coming back from Johannesburg South Africa I was very upset about it but I ended up sitting next to a Baptist pastor 
You know, it's a 15-hour flight, guys. I mean, they, they, they mark it for 17. Usually you get there in about 15 and a half. Depends on the winds. And we, we still loved each other at the end of the flight. But we did have an argument. And he got really almost angry and belligerent, saying, I don't, I don't believe that God wants to bless us. And I was like, how, how can you read the Bible and not believe that God wants to bless us? Right here, it says the glory that he's been given, he gives to us so that we may be one. And Psalm 133.1, which by the way, Jesus knows that scripture pretty well. He spoke it. He breathed it. Says how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell in unity for there a blessing is commanded. Yeah, God wants to bless you. It's just that the blessing of God is irrespective to our circumstance. And sometimes it manifests in different ways. So I happen to think that Stephen was incredibly blessed the day that he died. He got to see what I want to see. And I say that with a little bit of fear and trembling because I know what he went through to see what he saw, but I still want to see what he saw. And then you got to deal with the other scripture that says no man can see God and live. Well, I guess he didn't live very long after he saw God. But I've often said, if that's how I go out, I'm good. If I melt like wax because I'm seeing Jesus, I'm seeing him on the throne, I'm seeing the essence of the living God, if that's how I die, okay. That's why we have life insurance. I'm practical. I mean, I want a deep encounter, but I'm still practical about it. Yes, we are called to carry our cross. Yes, we are called to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Yes, we are called to count it all joy when we endure trials. How many people are in a trial right now? Raise your hand. How many people are happy about it? Come on, we got one. She's prophesying something that is not as though it is. And that's okay. <laughs> Am I right? I mean, it's right. Sometimes you got to do that. We are called to count it all joy when we endure trials. Why? Because God is saying, you know what? I think you can handle this and I'm going to manifest my glory in the midst of that. But here's the thing. The word also says blessing will overtake you if you obey. Deuteronomy 28. His divine power has given us everything we need for life that is physical life and godliness. For our life in the now and for our spiritual walk in the evermore. Scripture also says, my God will supply all your needs according to his what? To his riches and his... Somebody say glory. Only in God can seemingly opposing forces of ideas work together to bring about his perfection. Jesus was born. He was raised. He was cared for. He walked in abundance. He was born in a stable, but he didn't stay there. He walked in ministry. He suffered and died. He rose again. And he walked the earth before he ascended. I expect blessing. But I walk through suffering. You can do both. You can walk with expectancy while you walk through suffering. And in that, we find the glue that pulls together opposing forces of perhaps intellectual thought regarding the ways of God. Let's stand together. I see you, South Africa. I got my live stream on. I'm watching you. Try not to tell a story. Okay. So say this after me. Though I walk through the valley of the, of the shadow of death, I will fear nothing but my God.
that's the truth, guys. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. You can be in a situation that others would call hopeless, but still retain hope. Because Jesus went up to prepare a place for you and for me. But even though he went up, he sent down his spirit, the spirit who is holy, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the one who moves upon us and the one who rises up in us so that with Jesus, we can declare everywhere that we go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can't escape this reality. You can't escape this idea that when we, when we come into Jesus and we have now the ability and the capacity to make a declaration like that, that there is an element of the kingdom of heaven that is here now. That's what he's saying. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not like we're going to huddle together. We're going to put on white garments and go sit up on a, on a mountaintop and, and wait and hope that this rapture happens where we get to escape all the difficulties of the earth. Jesus said, no, you go into all the world. You preach the gospel. You make disciples of nations and you declare everywhere that you go that the kingdom of heaven is at hand now. Don't dumb down the words of Jesus to fit some kind of partial theology. First Corinthians or second Corinthians, let me Second Corinthians thirteen five. Paul exhorts the church. to test your own lives, to evaluate your own lives, to see that you are in the faith. Matter of fact, let me flip to it. It's important. I don't want to screw that up. Because we're going to receive communion in just a moment. But it says this in the English Standard Version, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. What does this mean? Well, that just means that there's a possibility that you think you're in a place that you're not. Even Jesus talks about those who prophesied in his name, that spoke in his name. But when they came to him, he said, depart from me. I never knew you. You can work all that you want. And then you think you're working for the kingdom. But if you don't know the king, let there be no mistake. There will be a separation. That's Jesus calling. I know what's being taught out there. I know what I'm telling you. Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. Paul says, test yourselves, examine yourselves to see that you are in the faith. He also says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We have lost in America this element of the awe of God because we become too familiar with a system that talks about him. And so we've leaned on this idea of this God who is a friend and a buddy. But we've lost the element of this king who has fires in his eyes and a sword that proceeds from his mouth, that he comes to divide between the issues of the soul and the spirit. And let me tell you that the sword is never an easy process to endure. Yet in all of that, all of that power, all of that glory, and all of that nature of the one who could simply say light where there was no light and it just is because he upholds all things by the power of his word. And all of that, the word still says, oh, it's his kindness. It says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. If you come to me, I will give you 
so it's his kindness that brings us to the point of decision. It brings us to the cross. It doesn't require you to modify your behavior before you get there. It just requires you to allow him to transform you from one level of glory to another level of glory. You know, when a baby is birthed, in that moment, there's no requirements that the parents put on the baby. I mean, I wish it were true. I wish you could just pop them out and they could just start doing chores. It just doesn't work that way. When the baby's birth, you're the one doing the chores. And then some. Jesus is the same way. He wants you to be born again. He's not requiring you in that moment to do anything except to say that you need him. So we're going to pray a prayer together. And then we're going to receive communion. We're just going to roll right into it because I've gone over. This is important. This is your day of rebirth. This is your time of change. This is your time to say, God, I need you. Show me all the ways that I need you that I haven't quite recognized yet. So we're just going to pray this prayer together right now. So pray after me. God, I need you. And I accept your gift of life to me. I accept Jesus' death and his resurrection from death that reversed the curse of sin and death in my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my way and turn towards your way. Would you connect me with my identity and my destiny through your gift of life? And would you please reveal your love to me now? And I will follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for hearing me and honoring my request. In Jesus' name. If you said that prayer today for the first time or it was a serious rededication, welcome to the family. Welcome home, you prodigals. You prodigals. (laughs) Believe me, I get it. But today is the day where all things become new and he will catch you up to a process of newness in the days to come just like he's doing with all of us. Man, I've been doing this thing for a long time. I'm still being transformed. Isn't that right, honey? So I want to do two things right now, guys, for our our, our bridge family. If you're watching, you've been watching for a while, you want to sow into what God is doing. It's amazing, really, what we've been able to do globally out of this house because of radical generosity. Two things. Want to receive your tithes and your offerings, whatever the Lord lays on your heart to give. If you're writing checks out, you can just make them out to the bridge. If you need the address, go to our Facebook page, our website, bridgemetrowest.com. You can download our app. Some of you, I see you watching on our app right now. Thank you for downloading the app. It's, it's a cool app. It's always being updated and cool stuff happening. And so uh, thank you for that. Or you can text one word, Bridge Metro West, to the number 77977. We're going to send you a secure link. You can give securely by credit card or debit card and responsibly, by the way. We're not asking you to go into debt to give. That's not giving, that's borrowing. But out of uh, what the Lord has given you, we just ask you to sow. And that's the lifestyle that, that we live and we lead. If you're watching on the Facebook live stream, there's a secure link right there in the comments and you can uh, access that. It's the same link as if you text. So um, that's all we're going to say about that. If you're in-house, as you leave, you can drop your stuff off in the, the, the offering. Right now, 
If you're watching online, you can go to bridgemetrowest.com forward slash ministry rooms, and we have ministry teams available for you right now. We want to pray salvation, healing, deliverance, breakthrough into your life right now. And if you've never had a prophetic word or you've had 20, but if you have 20, maybe back off and let the other new people go first because you've got to do something with the previous 20 words that you already got, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be going back into the room for another one. Anyway, that's another message. But we have prophetic teams and dream interpretation right now. So you can go bridgemetrowest.com forward slash ministry rooms. Prophetic ministry. If you've never had a prophetic word, go. I'm telling you, they're going to blow your mind. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. You're about to get some hope. And dream interpretation, you got a dream that the Lord has given, you know, or that you're not even sure it's from the Lord. Some of the most profound dreams that I ever got, I didn't even think they were from God. And then I got an interpretation that was exactly what God was doing. And so you can go in, we're gonna, we're gonna interpret those dreams for you. And then we've got other teams that just wanna pray uh, healing and breakthrough and life and encourage you in whatever way um, that the Lord has for us in that moment. So we invite you to do that. And here in the house, but you guys know that. You can sign up with Lisa in the corner there. She got the blue mask on because we're responsible. Deb, can I have a communion thing? Man, they had such an amazing song queued up for you guys right now that was just going to blow your mind and change your life. So you'll have to come back next week to hear that song. Yeah, I know. I just keep you hungry. I mean, this is a miracle right now that I opened this thing in the first try. How many of you know you can have joy and be happy and have fun even during communion? I figure if Jesus can endure the cross for the joy set before him, I can endure these packets with joy. Guys, this whole idea of what I call honest self-assessment, but what Paul writes to the church in Corinth about examining ourselves is so important. It's important because it, it opens up the possibility that we are not standing in the position that we thought we were, that we can be lulled into this idea that just because we got goosebumps or we had an encounter with Jesus that we actually know him and that we're actually walking with him. I'm not talking about gaining salvation and lo losing salvation. I'm just talking about, are you in the space of Jesus that he wants you to be? If the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, are we walking in wisdom right now? It doesn't mean that there's an absence of love, joy, and peace, which is the first foretaste of the fruit of the Spirit. It just means that there is a space for honest self-assessment in Christ. It's not condemnation. It's the path to life, guys. Because his word also says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are righteous by faith. We are justified by the blood. That's the end of the story. So Jesus, I want to stand firmly at the center of this gift of righteousness that you've given me by faith and the power of the justification of your blood. I don't want to just stand in front of your cross, God. I want to walk through it. I want to be on the other side where you give a new identity, where you bring transformation, that the old me is gone and dead. And I stand in newness of life. I thank you for your cross. I thank you for this blood that was shed. I thank you for your, your body that was broken for me. And would you encounter us in this moment of communion? And would you release the power of salvation and healing and deliverance? So in the presence of men and angels and before your throne, eat and drink, church for the honor of the king, eat and drink.
So may the Lord bless, keep, and guard you. Even now as the light and the glory of his face is shining towards you like a father beaming with pride over his infant child. And may the Lord bestow upon you robes of shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken, an intact, favorable circumstance of living, and grant you as he has a peace that is beyond the intellectual capacity to comprehend. The Lord is our help, and even in times of trouble. So I speak blessing, blessing, blessing in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit who is holy. So be it, and amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidry is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.